All right, um, Ryan has been talking about various relationships, as, uh, as he mentioned, and he, he said he talked the last two weeks about men and women, some specific things about that. And in the coming weeks, he's going to get to what you all are really excited for, and the reason that you really wanted this ser- series to happen, and that's sex, dating, and marriage. So what I'm going to try and do this week is, is transition a bit into that. I want to, uh, I want to pivot a bit this week. Um, you've heard this semester, I know, that relationships are a good thing. Uh, that God created relationships, that you are created for relationships. You've heard also that relationships are a mess. Uh, and you didn't need somebody to tell you that because you've experienced it. You know it. But you've also heard, every week I'm sure, that there is real hope for our relationships. And that that hope comes in Jesus. Here's what I want to talk about this week. I want to talk tonight about how and when this good desire for relationships goes bad, okay? I want to talk about where where that healthy desire goes from unhealthy to unhealthy. And to say this maybe a little bit more provocatively, I want to tell you tonight why the romantic relationship that you either are in right now or that you are longing for is not all that it's cracked up to be. It's not going to do what you hope it will. That's intentionally provocative, okay? Um, Most of us think that everything would be okay if I could just meet the right guy or the right girl. If I could just get into that right relationship, my life is going to make sense in a way that it doesn't now. And this is reinforced all over the place, especially in movies. There's an entire genre dedicated to it, right? Romantic comedies, chick flicks, and they make a killing doing it as well. Um, I was going to ask if there are any Nicholas Sparks fans. That's probably not a good question to ask. Uh, I'll just tell you about Nicholas Sparks. Um, Eleven of his 18 books have been turned into movies. My wife's a big Nicholas Sparks fan. This is how I know these things. Uh, Anybody seen The Notebook in here? Everybody. That is the... um, That's the last movie that my wife and I saw in the theaters together. It came out in 2004. So we can talk about that afterwards if you'd like. Um, What those movies do is they set us up uh, with a particular set of expectations for what a relationship will be or what it should be. And so every girl in here thinks that Noah should be their boyfriend, right? We all have that kind, of, uh, that kind of expectation. That's what these movies do. So Penny Haynes, this woman, wrote an article called How Chick Flicks Ruin Our Lives and Can Lead to Depression. <laughs> kind of a buzzkill, right? Okay, so she lists the qualities of chick flicks, talks about what they are. We all know those things. And here's what she says. Listen to this. What do women want to be loved? By the way, this goes either way. It's maybe a little different with men. Not picking on women or anything. What do women want to be loved, admired, pursued, taken care of, and protected forever after? So why is this mixture so incredibly dangerous? It's dangerous because the more I watch these fake movie lives I can't live, and these perfect men I can't have, the more unsatisfied and disappointed I become with the imperfect life and relationships I now have. What's she saying? She's saying that these movies set up these unrealistic expectations for us 
by playing into those good creational desires that you and I have for relationships. And those desires, when they, when they get in there and these movies tap into that core, those desires grow and grow and can get to a point where we end up worshiping a relationship rather than worshiping God. Okay? So what the Bible calls that is idolatry, and that's what's happening in both of these passages, in this Isaiah passage and then the passage from Romans 1. So here's what I want to do tonight. I'm going to ask and answer four questions for us, okay? And they're on your handout there. First is, what is idolatry? Then I want to look at what relational idolatry looks like. And then we'll look at what the results of that relational idolatry are. And then finally, what is the solution to that relational idolatry. So first, what is, our idol- what is idolatry? To understand that, we've got to go back to the beginning of the Bible. Okay? And this will be review for some of you. Some of you might not be familiar with the story of the Bible. The Bible begins with God creating humanity in His image to worship Him. And so the most fundamental thing about humanity is that we are worshipers. We are more than that, but we are no less than that. Okay? Every person is a worshiper. We are created for that. You are hardwired to worship. So Genesis 3 occurs, third chapter of the Bible. Sin enters, and we don't cease being worshipers. We just start worshiping other things. Worship gets messed up, okay? And so we don't stop worshiping. This is true of every person, uh, every single person. It might not take what we would think of, of as a religious sort of form, but we all worship something. We have to worship something. And when we worship something other than the God of the Bible, it's called idolatry. That's how the Bible defines it. So what idolatry is, it's the worship of a fake or counterfeit God. Okay? Usually, if I just said, what is an idol? Most of you would probably describe something like what's happening in Isaiah 44, right? That this physical object that you might bow down to or some kind of little mini figurine or something kind of weird like that, some ancient practice or something. And it's kind of easy to mock and dismiss and think that's archaic, that, that, that shows the ignorance of these older societies. But the thing is, is that when the Bible talks about idolatry, it's not just about physical objects. Okay, It doesn't have to be physical objects. That's what's happening In Romans 1, if you look at verse 25, all idolatry has to be is worshiping the creature rather than the creator. Listen to verse 25 of Romans 1 again. It's on your sheet. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who's blessed forever. Amen. So that's what's happening. Idolatry is the worship of the creature rather than the Creator, and so then idols begin functioning as substitutes for God. Okay? So we could say it this way idolatry is a disorder of your desires. On the heart level, on your on the level of your desires, you have a dysfunction, and I have a dysfunction that is at work in us because of sin in the world and sin in our hearts. And so what happens is that we worship this counterfeit God, this fake God. And why do we do that? We do that because there's something that it has that we desire. It has something that we want. And so we bow down to it, hoping that it'll give it to us. Okay? So why do we do that? Why do we worship it and desire it? What does it have that we want? Well, idols promise salvation to us. If you look at, uh, back at our passage, you see this 
in 17, in verse 17. This man bows down to his God, his idol, he falls before it and he worships it. He prays to it and he says, deliver me for you are my God. What does this look like for us? Idols promise happiness, they promise meaning, they promise significance, they promise comfort, they promise security, they promise to you real life. They promise you salvation in that way, okay? And so that's what we desire. We bow down to these idols looking for them to provide these things for us. And the incredible thing about this, the scary thing about this, is that these idols aren't even necessarily bad things in and of themselves. Idols are often good things that are raised to ultimate levels. Okay, so in this passage, you've got this ironsmith. He's working with iron, right? Iron is not bad in and of itself, is it? You've got a carpenter making these things out of wood. He's putting some of it to good use. He's cooking over it. This is supposed to be kind of a funny passage, by the way, um, if you didn't catch that. Um, He's putting the, the wood to good use here. It's something good. But then he's also misusing it pretty substantially, right? And the same is true for us. There's any, almost any sort of good thing can be turned into an idol. Your desire for success here as a student can be turned into an idol. It can be raised to an ultimate level where your life and your identity depends on your GPA. It could have to do with your friends and your social status. It could have to do with your family and the way that you look there for your identity And so you take these good things and you raise them up to ultimate levels, okay? And so Calvin has said this, the human heart is an idol factory. Our hearts can turn anything into an idol. Kierkegaard says it this way, it's the normal state, this comes naturally to us now, it's the normal state of the human heart to try to build its identity around something besides God. And if you, didn't think, if you didn't see where we're going with this, you, you can see how a relationship, which is a very good thing, can easily become an idol, right? And that's the second point. What, what does this look like? What does relational idolatry look like? Well, I think it could take two forms for us. One is worshiping the relationship itself. This is the belief that if I just had a boyfriend or a girlfriend, then my life would be complete, My life would make sense, I would have purpose, I would have meaning, I would finally be okay. My anxiety would subside. I would have a sense of value and worth that I don't have now. Finding the one will make me happy. Um, This is a movie, again, that's old, because I don't know any new chick flicks or good illustrations, okay? 27 Dresses. Yeah, shamefully, kind of, yeah, I've seen that. Um... The whole, the whole premise is that she'd finally be happy if she's the bride, right? It's a classic story. I think that's kind of the premise. Um, but this is what one form of this relational idolatry looks like. Here's some, here's some ways that you might see this in your own life, what it might look like. It could be this, that your greatest fear is graduating without being engaged or in a serious relationship. Not something you probably talk about, but it could be something that even keeps you up at night. And as much as you don't want this to be the case, you look at your friends who are in relationships now and you envy them and you view them with disdain because you want it so badly for yourself. It might look like you doing anything to get into a relationship. 
It could look like you compromising your values or your dearly held standards because what you want is the relationship. It could mean giving yourself to somebody in a very, very unhealthy way. It could be giving yourself to being used by somebody because you want a relationship so badly. It might look like your sense of self-worth rising and falling with whether or not you're actually in a relationship. If you're in a relationship, things are great. If you're not, this is the worst day of my life. Okay? Uh, another symptom of this could be that you are always in a relationship and you always must be in a relationship. Where, where something feels wrong within you if you are not in some kind of dating relationship and you feel incomplete without it. And it may be that, you, that none of those things really hit home for you. Maybe this one will. It could be that you never date and you disparage it and you look down on people that, you, that, that do. But what's actually happening in that case is that you are still being controlled by this idol, although in a reverse sort of way. Does that make sense? I just don't want anything to do with it. You're still being controlled by it, okay? So this is one form that it takes. So, so for some of us, it's looking to this relationship for life, for meaning, for happiness, for security. But there's a second form as well, and it's this, that, that it looks to your significant other, the person, for redemption. Everybody knows the You Complete Me quote for the uh, title. Tell me. Yes, Jerry Maguire? Okay, yeah. Again, I'm telling you, i got terrible illustrations. <laughs> These are old. Um, yeah, so Jerry Maguire, that, that, that is the phrase, You Complete Me. That's this other form of relational idolatry. Here's how Keller says it. We maintain the fantasy that if we find our one true soulmate, everything wrong with us will be healed. That's the solution. This person is going to be my savior in that way. Here's what this looks like. If you, you, you might have a relationship with a person that you are looking to for all of your life, and then you start noticing that all of your friendships fall away. Why? Because it's that person that means everything to you and you are willing to give up on everything else in your life in order to be in this relationship with this guy or this girl. It could be that you're in a relationship where that you need constant and excessive affirmation. Your day is made or ruined based on whether your significant other tells you you're beautiful, tells you you're great, tells you you're wonderful, tells you I love you. You, are, you have this, this incessant need within you where you feel incomplete without those words from somebody. It could be that you're in a relationship uh, like this if extreme jealousy characterizes that relationship. Why would that be the case? Because that person is everything to you. And when the slightest threat to that relationship comes into play, you get scared to death and jealousy arises in a really, really big way. Um, you might wonder how I know these things. Um, I might have a little personal experience with this. Um, that these, especially the, the second half, that this characterized my relationship with my now wife uh, when we were in college. Uh, it was ugly for a long time. Um, these things come uh, and are born out of a lot of personal experience, and it doesn't just uh, all of a sudden fix when you get married either. Um, there are ways and things that we still have to work through because of this. Just to say that this is, this is real. 
Um, what is this at the core? At the core, it is seeking redemption through a relationship. So in both cases, whether it's to the relationship itself or to the person, you're looking to this relationship or person for life, meaning, happiness, and security. And what has happened in that case is that that person or that relationship has become your functional God. Like verse 17, what you're doing, what you and I do in this case, is to bow down to this relationship or to this person and say, deliver me, for you are my God. That's what's occurring. And the hard thing about this is that it works for a while. You experience happiness for a while. Things feel pretty good. The relationship is a good thing for a little while. And so we kind of lull ourselves into thinking that this is okay. The irony, though, is that in raising that relationship to an ultimate level, you actually end up ruining it and trashing it and the other person. The effects of this become devastating, and that's our third question that we'll answer. What are the results of this relational idolatry? We've got a few of them here. The first is that we are going to come up empty and disappointed. Look back at verses 9 and 10. What Isaiah is doing here is trying to show how foolish and ridiculous idolatry really is. He says this, All who fashion idols are nothing, and the things they delight in do not profit. Their witnesses neither see nor know that they may be put to shame. Who fashions a god or casts an idol that is profitable for nothing? The answer is that you and I do. (laughs) We do that a lot. Um, but this is the result, that, that, that we come up profitless, we enter into this nothingness, and the reason is that that idol cannot deliver on what it has promised you. You have been sold a bill of goods in looking to that idol for your meaning, for your comfort, for your happiness, for your satisfaction. The reason is that no person, no relationship was meant to bear that kind of weight. There's no person in a romantic relationship that is meant to be your savior. No person was meant to do that. And the moment we start doing that, we come up empty and we come up disappointed. There's a guy named Ernest Becker. This guy's not a Christian. Uh, He wrote a book called The The Denial of Death, and this is actually quoted in Keller's book on idolatry. Um, His whole book is an attempt to explain, um, as an atheist, from a secular point of view, how people have dealt with, Um, with no longer believing in God, okay? Relationships are one of the ways that that we've tried to do that. So here's what he says about this, and this is on your sheet. You can follow along. The failure of romantic love as a solution to human problems is so much a part of modern man's frustration. No human relationship can bear the burden of godhood. However much we may idealize or idolize our love partner, they inevitably reflect earthly decay and imperfection. After all, what is it that we want when we elevate the love partner to this position? We want to get rid of our faults, our feeling of nothingness. We want to be justified, to know our existence has not been in vain. We want redemption, nothing less. Needless to say, human partners cannot give this. And the sobering result of this is verse 20. This is what Isaiah says. He feeds on ashes. That is a vivid picture of where we are left with our idolatry. So that's one result, empty and disappointed. Secondly, 
We end up using and manipulating people rather than loving them. We misuse people. That's what's happening in the passage in 14 through 17 with this good iron, this good wood. In a similar way, we use, abuse, and manipulate people when we set them up as idols. That might seem counterintuitive because you're thinking, I love this person. I'm, I, I, I'm honestly worshiping this person, right? I mean, that seems like I'm pretty into this person and that I, that I love them above all else. No, what is actually the case is that we are looking to that person to meet our own selfish needs. It is all about me at the end of the day. I am using this person in order to get what I want, which is this meaning, this, this satisfaction, this attention. So it's perverting God's good purposes for this person and for this relationship. Thirdly, we become enslaved. Look back at verse 18. And hear this. They know not, nor do they, nor do they discern, for he has shut their eyes so that they cannot see, and their hearts so that they cannot understand. And then verse 20, he feeds on ashes. A deluded heart has led him astray, and he cannot deliver himself or say, is there not a lie in my right hand? What has happened to these idolaters here? is that they have become less than human at this point. They're unable to see, they're unable to understand the ridiculousness of what they're doing here. And so what happens to us in terms of relational idolatry is that we continue to have this loop of foolishness that's at work in our hearts and in our minds. We think, this time's going to be different. We're going to get back together this time and it's going to be okay now. I'm sure he's changed. I know she's changed. She's not going to do what she did last time. It's going to work now. Things are going to be different. Maybe next time it won't be this way. And we tell ourselves these lies to a point where we end up enslaved and almost addicted to this person or to this relationship. And if you've experienced this, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You can't walk away from the person without it being horribly painful. And so you go back, you go back, and you go back. And that passage that Ryan read at the beginning testifies to this and that we become what we worship in the end. We become something less than human. Um, Probably the most vivid picture of this in literature and movies is Gollum from Lord of the Rings. He starts out as this hobbit, Schmeagel, right? He finds this ring that he obviously desires above all else and his whole life is consumed by it. And there are these physical effects over time where he becomes less than a hobbit, right? He becomes this kind of unrecognizable character that's barely alive in the end. That's what idolatry does to us. It eats us alive in that way. Finally, the result is that we stand condemned before God. This is in Romans 1 that we looked at earlier. This is not some arbitrary standard that God has set up. What idolatry is is a rejection of the God who has created you in love and for love. It is replacing that God of love with some other object that He has made. And God, as our Creator, has a say over our lives so that we as creatures owe Him allegiance. And when you and I set up other things in His place, we are not recognizing Him as Creator any longer. So Romans, Romans 1.18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven 
against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So when we worship relationships, we come up empty. We use and manipulate people. We end up becoming enslaved. And then in the end, we actually stand condemned. So the question then is, what do we do about this? Is there any sort of solution to this? And I want you to feel the weight of this a little bit. We're talking about something on the level of our desires. Something on the level of something that you love. This isn't like a a surface level behavior like I got to quit biting my nails or something like that or I got to start putting the toilet seat down. <laughs> this is not a surface level behavioral sort of thing. We're talking about an issue with my heart and with your heart. So the temptation is probably to say I need to just stop loving this person. I need to stop idolizing this relationship. Somehow I just need to stop doing that, right? But the problem is that that doesn't work. And you've probably experienced that yourself. Here is the lone solution that we have for us. The lone solution comes in Jesus. Jesus alone can deliver us from that enslavement to our relational idolatry so that in the end we can actually stop using people and start loving people. He is the only one who can work on the level of your heart when you actually need to change. You and I can't do that on our own, okay? How does this happen? It happens first by Jesus becoming more beautiful to us. Our hearts have to be overcome, overwhelmed, enraptured with who Jesus is and what He has come to do for us. And the text gets at this. We're in the Old Testament here. So this is looking forward towards the coming of Jesus and what He would do in His death and resurrection on the cross. But it points forward to Him. Look back at verse 21. Isaiah calls Israel to remember. First to remember Yahweh. Remember the Lord. And at the same time, remember the folly, the ridiculousness of this idolatry. He's just told you how ridiculous it is. Don't forget that. But remember who God is. Remember God, your creator. Remember that he's the one who has created you and formed you. And the one who, as he says in verse 21, will not forget you. Remember him. Verse 22, return to him. Why do that? Because He forgives you and He forgives me for that idolatry that otherwise we would stand condemned for. He says this, I've blotted out your transgressions like a cloud and your sins like a mist. He says, I have redeemed you. Return to me. How has He done that? He's done that ultimately in Jesus. And that Jesus came and lived the perfect life He died in our place and He rose from the grave. And He did that in order that you and I would actually be forgiven for the guilt that we really do have from our idolatry. Return to Him because He forgives you. Finally, worship Him, which is what's happening in verse 23. What happens in worship? What happens in worship is that your imagination and your desires actually change. The gospel, Jesus' death and resurrection, this message about who Jesus is and what He came to do, actually becomes, as Ryan said earlier, more beautiful and believable to you in the context of worship. Those truths hit home in a way that they won't 
in other settings, in other contexts. And so as we begin to see the beauty of Jesus and His love for us, we actually begin loving Him and worshiping Him as He intended. And so the solution isn't try and stop loving something. The solution is to start loving Jesus more. This is how Thomas Chalmers says it. He calls it the expulsive power of a new affection. Here's how he describes it. The only way to dispossess the heart of an old affection is by the expulsive power of a new one. That's how our hearts can detach from these other idols, is by worshiping and loving Jesus. Last thing that happens for us is that we can actually start needing people less and loving people more. That's what happens to us. As we embrace Jesus, not only are we changed, but then we can actually begin transforming our relationships as well. Why? Because you no longer have to look to that person for something that they were never intended or created to provide for you. You can love a person rather than grasp in a needy way at them for your satisfaction and your happiness. This actually frees you up to love people. It frees you up to have a healthy relationship with somebody. This is what the gospel does in us. This is how Jesus works at that very fundamental heart level. Okay, so if you are one tonight who is in the middle of this and feels completely overwhelmed because you're thinking, this is uh, the train wreck of a relationship I have right now, you need to know that there is hope, okay? There is real hope. It may be that you're a person who's not in a relationship like that tonight, but you're hearing me describe these things, and it is describing you to a T because you long for that relationship. I want you to think some about um, this, this song, Satisfied, that we sang earlier. That song gets at what we're talking about right now. Jesus alone can satisfy you, and He delights to do so. He moves towards you in love, and He offers Himself to you. He is the one who can actually set us free from that enslavement. He offers Himself to you tonight. Let me pray for us.